What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. People are strange. strange. Something strange. Is that strange? That is strange. All right, and welcome to another episode of Strange Sauna. With me today is a very special guest. I'm a huge fan of his work, Ryan Gable. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Heck yes. Well, so I am very familiar with your work. For those who are listening who are not familiar with your work, could you please describe yourself and what you do? Yeah, I will try to do so as quickly as I can. I tend to be long-winded, so... No problem. I started, I started radio about 13 years ago. Spoke for the first time on radio just by happenstance. I happened to fall into it. A friend of mine who was doing radio passed away. I took over the reins of the show. And when I started the show, I had to figure out something to talk about. I felt embarrassed to just sit there and on a live hot mic and not have much to say. So I started reading books religiously. And I was first uh, in a bookstore uh, picking up some books when I got into radio and I picked up a copy of Manly P. Hall's The Secret Teachings of All Ages. Mm-hmm. I also picked up a book called The Secret History of the World. And as I read those two books from Manly Hall and Mark Booth, they really allowed me to, I think, see things that I never imagined um, were topics, subjects, places in the world, or any of these amazing things around us uh, when I was in high school. And even though I took AP history, I didn't learn any of that stuff in history. So Can I long ask story you a short. Yeah, yeah, certainly. What what drew you to pick up that book? The Manly Hall book? Yeah. I think it was because it was the biggest book on the shelf. And okay. I thought that the <laughs> the grand Rosicrucian alchemical formula, which I later learned what that's what was on the cover of the mass produced one, uh, stood out to me. I don't know why. No one's ever asked me that before, but that, that that's why I just saw it and I thought it was beautiful and I picked it up and well, that's where well, I started yeah, my cause, journey. Because that seems like a pivotal moment in your uh, your timeline. You know what I mean? So, no, it certainly is. Absolutely. It's interesting to think about those kind of things. Like what what led me to pick up that book, that one day that kind of, I guess, led me down this whole entire road, you know? I've always wondered that too with, um, when I was in that bookstore that day, I remember picking up another book called Atlantis and Lemuria, And it was written by a lady named... Um, kind of blanking on her name right now, uh, Shirley Andrews, mm. and didn't think much more about it. I just vividly remember picking that book up. And then a couple of years later, the first interview I ever did, a friend of mine from radio came to me and said, hey, do you want to interview Shirley Andrews? And it turned out to be my first interview, one of the first books I ever picked up. Um, I find that to be kind of synchronistic, but that's how I got into uh, reading and learning and I was fascinated with everything and I sort of just put it together in an all encompassing radio show and called it the secret teachings. That's awesome, man. So you really had no idea kind of which direction you're going to go. You just kind of were looking at a shelf of books and then you go, well, I like this book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sort of. I actually, what, what would happen is at the radio station, uh, Rollins college radio, I is a volunteer show that was grandfathered in 
So we had a talk show, even though most stuff was just music. And a, a lot of, you know, it's a college, a lot of kids were drinking and partying and they weren't showing up for their volunteer slots. So oh, yeah. they'd ask me, to, they'd ask me to show up and I started doing other shows during the week and I had to do, you know, my show on the weekend and I would be doing these Wednesday, Thursday shows and I would have to find something to talk about. And one of the first things that I sort of picked out of seemingly random was I wanted to talk about the classical, stereotypical Egyptian pyramids. And I remember getting this phone call from a professor at the university who told me I was wrong. He just said, you're wrong. And I said, about what? And he said, well, you're wrong about the pyramids. I'm a professor. So I know you're wrong. And I said, well, what am I wrong about? And I was, I, I didn't understand. I was very young and naive. I, mean, I was like 19 years old, 20 years old. I was very young and naive trying to understand what all I'm doing is discussing different theories. Yeah. I'm not even presenting a theory. So I kind of developed, um, that was my first taste of uh, people, I guess, being unable to consider and contemplate things outside of the, the status quo, especially at a university. And that kind of drove me forward in my pursuits as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, when it comes to questioning um, beliefs, questioning education, all these ideals and ideas that we've come to learn and that we teach, you know, <laughs> to our students, to our children. You know, it's it's weird to see people get really defensive about that, but some some of it's understandable. But you know, having an open mind is uh, the best way that I I can uh, describe myself. Is yeah, I've just I've always I've never been set in one set of standards and always wanted to learn more. You know what I mean? And so that's kind of what led me down this road. Uh, this is called Strange Sauna because I converted my sauna into a podcast studio. I was wondering. Yeah, it looks good. Yeah, well, thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it does the job. It's very small. I mean, these are the walls right here. So <laughs> not a lot of wing, not a lot of wingspan, you know. But yeah, so we do pardon my American podcast. And this is a side segment that goes on our Patreon. And so all of our Patreon followers get to watch this extra content that I post. And um, this was one of those things that we brought up on the show. Uh, I know Chris and I were able to join you on the secret teachings. And that was awesome. We had a discussion about the moon, you know, the moon launch, all that good, fun stuff. All Artemis, the Artemis mission. Yeah. Which is still delayed by the way. It is still delayed. Yeah. You know, a lot of these things I talked about how you wanted to discuss uh, manufactured prophecy Absolutely. tonight. Yes. Um, uh, kind of more of a synchronicity. Uh, recently I've been going back to some of my roots and I've been looking at uh, ancient Egyptian mythology and archaeology, uh, Mesoamerican and Mesopotamian, so Central and South America and then the Middle East mythology and archaeology. And in relationship to what you are and are not taught about in school, some of that's not a conspiracy. It's just, you know, where the money goes and, you know, oh, yeah. what's accepted and whatnot, right? So I've been going back and looking at all that and I just I went back to my book, Occult Arcana, and I was looking at the similarities between Egyptian culture, between even Japanese culture, ancient, ancient Japanese culture, and uh, Central and South America, and how they shared so many similarities. Not that they were all run by the same um, group of people, the same culture, but they were similar enough that over thousands of thousands of miles they had these similar beliefs, they had similar gods, they had similar types of uh, construction, like there are these um, construction methods used in South, South America, in uh, Peru, and I think it was Peru, Bolivia area, Lake Titicaca, 
that are identical to those used in Egypt. And they're sophisticated. They're not found anywhere else in South America or even Central America. You find a similar, one of my, um, one of the things that blew my mind when I was learning about this years ago was that there's an Egyptian ritual called the opening of the mouth and they would open the skull. They would crack the skull open of the, of usually the Pharaoh or the, the priest, the Royal members of the society. And they believe that the Pharaoh in particular would go on to become a star in the sky, usually in the constellation Orion. And uh, those people, ancient people in South America believe the exact same thing. In fact, their word for ritual uh, and sacrifice is basically derived or it seems as if it's derived from the Egyptian uh, tool that they used for this called Peshenkif, which means to open the mouth. So I think that there's an interesting thing here, not just to discuss, but it also relates to this manufactured prophecy, because what a lot of people don't recognize is that in Central and South America, we always hear about how terrible the conquistadors were and how evil the Spanish were and how evil the Europeans were. But it's also well-known history that when uh, Cortez, for example, came to the Americas, one of the most well-known conquistadors, Cortez actually was seen as a god, not because of his white skin per se, or because they had shiny swords, but because Cortez fit into the mythology and the religious, mm. the religious ideology of those regions. They believed that their gods would return and they described their gods like Quetzalcoatl, for example, in Central America or Veracocha in South America as being fair skinned, very pale white with beards and long flowing robes, which also sort of describe what later prior to Columbus, but much later than these ancient stories were the Knights Templar who were, who were known in the late 1300s. Uh, to have made it to the Americas, married Indian families and had uh, relationships and trade. And the interesting thing that I find about all of this is that those gods, Quetzalcoatl and Veracocha, they were white and they preached love and they preached harmony. They preached the things that we would say Jesus was teaching. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, that's kind of almost a political thing today with white people are evil and Europeans and slavery. But when you look at it from that historical point of view, you recognize that People like Cortez also understood the mythology and he used it. He used that prophecy to create and to cultivate um, a peaceful agreement with the people that he interacted with so that he could get access to their inter inner sanctums. And then they committed mass genocide against most of those Indians. Yeah, I was going to say way to exploit them, right? Get them to precisely kind of worship you in a way. But nonetheless, Precisely. going back to what you were saying about the connection of all these cultures with the similar ideals, the similar kind of religious undertones and overtones or whatnot, it's just it's fascinating that you can live miles away on different continents and have the exact same approach to a belief system, you know? Oh, it is. It's it's utterly fascinating. I mean, it's a little, little bit here or there discussed in, you know, universities, depending on what courses you're taking, but nowhere near, you know, the work of a Graham Hancock or the work of, let's say, uh, a Jim Mars or someone like that, who really put the pieces together. Yeah. And it's, th it's things that if you have, you know, if you have a little extra money, I've never done it, but you can go to these places and you can see the, um, oh, you can see that. the, I would love me to too, that. man. I want to go to the Yucatan. Like everybody's going to Egypt now, it seems, but mm -hmm. I want to go to South America. I want to go to, I want to go to Japan and see the amazing architecture and the history there. 
because regardless if it's Japan or again, it's South America or it's hell, it's Rapa Nui, Easter Island, thousands of miles, yeah. you know, in the middle of the ocean, they all believed apparently the same thing, or at least believed in the same kind of deities and, and characters that go way beyond uh, the Joseph Campbell style archetypes. Um, and it shows us that there, there had to have been some kind of, this is where the ancient alien people come in, but I think it was ancient human civilization um, that believed a very similar thing because they got their information from the same source. And that's where mm -hmm. they got knowledge for everything from agriculture to engineering and mathematics and astronomy. But again, I think the point is for what you wanted to discuss, people like Cortez acknowledge and noticed that the conquistadors, the Spanish, kind of mimicked and mirrored the religious prophecies of those areas. And they exploited them to take control of those areas, to commit genocide, to steal uh, the resources and the wealth. And I think we're seeing a similar thing happening today on a global scale, um, just in a, in a slightly different way, but very similar. Yeah, I was going to say that's a fantastic segue into the, the topic of discussion here, the manufactured biblical prophecy. And, but I do want to stick a pin in that uh, what you said about the open mouth ritual, because I had, a, had something I wanted to say about that, but I don't want to ruin this segue. So let's let's maybe bring that back up at the end here before we get off. But okay, the manufactured okay. biblical prophecy. I heard you on a segment on Quite Frankly podcast, and what you said was kind of fascinating because it, it kind of wrapped in some stuff that I was looking into as well. And so I I hope you remember what that conversation was. But it, it was about pretty much the royal family, the manufactured prophecy, and then those with the the devout belief that believe that the end times is here will mm -hmm. be very disappointed enough. So to um, relinquish their beliefs in Christianity. Yes. So I think before we can go into that in detail, uh, it's important to state that I am not a Christian. Mm. I'm also yeah. not a Muslim. I'm not Jewish, but I'm certainly not an atheist. Um, Perhaps I, I, I live in a way like a Christian. I, I have certain morals and, you know, I believe in merit and things like this. Mm -hmm. um, but in, in, in terms of uh, Christian faith, which is obviously one of the biggest in the world, um, next to Buddhism and Islam and um, Judaism and a, few, and a few others that don't get mentioned a lot, uh, I believe, or at least it seems as such, that there is a political uh, and a technocratic movement to convince people that organic life, and this, is, this deals with technology as much as it deals with end-time biblical-type prophecies, but to convince people to give up both their humanity, uh, to give up their faith, and that could mean a lot of things, uh, and to submit to the materialist, scientific, progressive, technological, technocratic view of the world. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. We've seen it. 2020. I mean, <laughs> that's what COVID was all about. Lockdowns. Get everybody on uh, virtual meetings. Let's use our technology. And then all of a sudden we're getting injected with something that is a brand new technology that we've never really done ever. Right? You no, know, that's that's precisely right. And in fact, the, um, the aspects, I guess you'd call them the aspects of the so-called mRNA vaccines or shots or gene therapy uh, relate to uh, certain documents produced by NASA, which said that 2020 roughly would be the year of the beginning of the merge between organic and synthetic life. This, of course, also connects to Ray Kurzweil of Google uh, and a number of other Silicon Valley, where I call it Graphene Valley now, 
mm. a number of other Silicon and Graphene Valley people that have published books and given speeches where they openly declare, and Elon Musk is also involved in this to some extent, uh, they declare that uh, the goal is to put nanotechnology into the environment. Kurzweil said every rock, tree, everything would be infused with it. And uh, to do the same thing to humans. So we're talking about the body of things and the internet of things to connect everything to this artificial synthetic sub-reality, which if you read Samsung's own paper on this, it's called uh, 6G. They say that they are creating a holographic digital world, kind of sounds like the metaverse, that you will plug yourself into and it will be run by machines. That's not the Matrix movie. That's literally the company Samsung that makes the TVs and makes the technology. That's what they are building officially. You can pull it off their website. So none of this is really a, a theory or a conspiracy. It is what is being advocated for under the guise of public health, under the guise of equality and equity, under the guise of all the other things that are used to uh, create a, a much more uh, unequal and a much more uh, or I should say a less human, a less organic uh, environment, which we do see that, uh, of course, all around us all the time. Technology is great. We can communicate right now with it. But to the extent that we use it to become less human and to the extent that technology is used so it becomes more human, uh, we seem to lose our humanity in that process and that transition. Yeah. And I mean, it makes me think of even, um, I just typed this in here, but, uh, Aaron Russo, remember the film director, Aaron Russo, he had an interview with Alex Jones on Infowars decades ago talking about oh, the, yes. the Rockefellers. Yeah. He, he befriended a Rockefeller who basically spilled the beans and told him that, you know, the ultimate goal is to get everybody chipped. And if they start writing and they do anything against your will, you just turn off their chip. They don't get food. They don't get money. They don't get gas. That's, I mean, that's your social credit score that is tied to, you know, your vaccine status. That's tied to whether you walked across the street correctly, whether you smiled at a picture of the great leader, like they do in China, you get docked points. If you don't smile at Xi Jinping. Oh, absolutely. It's black mirror stuff. Right. And it's all connected to, um, I think, uh, the biblical end time like prophecy. So we can get into that in, in, in great detail if you'd like. I think there's Absolutely. two angles. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so the first the first angle to this, I think this one to me might even be more fascinating. It's not as scary. Uh, that is Halloween. So we just had Halloween and then we just had the All Saints Day and All Souls Day, more Roman Catholic versions. Uh, uh, Mexican culture has the Days of the Dead, where mm-hmm. they've got like a day for dead uh, children and things like that. So it's a three-day festival, essentially. Samhain is the uh, original name, or Samhain. Uh, We have uh, eight different holidays like this on the wheel of the year. So you have the equinoxes and the solstices that creates the cross. And then we have the midpoints between them, which are Imbolc, Beltane, Luknasad, and then Halloween is the fourth. So when you look at uh, astronomy and when you look at the changing of the seasons, you find a couple of interesting parallels with biblical end times prophecy. Mm -hmm. So you find that you have four horses of the apocalypse. You also have four seasons. The red horse is, of course, the summertime. The black horse is the fall, when things fall into chaos, fall into darkness, and fall into cold. 
the black horse and uh, what the black horse brings with it famine that's why we have our festivals of uh, feasting and celebration halloween's one of those as well as of course uh, various forms of thanksgivings held around the world not just in the states so this is the time when the veil is lifted and they say the veil is lifted during uh, the changing of the seasons from the summer into the fall this is when spirits come across we can communicate better with the dead again uh, day of the dead etc so at this point when you look at the uh, imagery and the iconography of say the four horsemen of the apocalypse you might notice that the black horse of fall carries with him a scale. So does um, Santa Morte, which is a very classical uh, character in Mexican culture. So does uh, Anubis in the Hall of Judgment in Egypt carries yeah. the scale to it, right? To weigh the heart and the feather. So this is the final judgment in the lifting of the veil, which is the apocalypse. The apocalypse, the word comes from Greek. It means unveiling. So as the veil is lifted, and we are judged in the end times of the year, the black horse comes and rides upon the earth with his scale, just like the black horse of Hades in the story of Persephone, which details when Persephone is taken to the underworld, her mother Demeter is distraught and sad and worried, so she allows the crops to die. This was a story that explains in terms that can be understood by everybody the changing of the seasons and uh, the agricultural process and how we need to save up for the winter so we have uh, enough to survive and make it through another uh, uh, dark uh, time. So then the pale horse comes and then the springtime comes and we have the white horse and the sun brings warmth and light back, light back to the world. Uh, it wards off the evil like our jack-o'-lanterns with the little coals in them or the little candles. And this all probably sounds familiar because it all sounds just like Jesus resurrecting from the dead the sun resurrects mm -hmm. uh, a lot of a lot of people know this story in some uh, some way or some form so the bottom line is the four horses of the apocalypse the apocalypse the great unveiling the lifting of the veil the fall the fall of man judgment in the final days all of this relates to agriculture it all relate agricultural societies it all relates to the changing of the seasons and the turning of the wheel that is the apocalypse that is the battle between darkness and light that is darkness uh, winning out in the winter and then light in the spring coming back. And again, the warmth and, and the sun uh, and the light uh, that brings light and warmth back to a dark and cold world. And uh, last but not least, of course, is Dante's description of hell. He always described hell. A lot of people described hell as a cold ice palace. That would be the, the winter months. So that gives us heaven, that gives us hell, that gives us you know light, that gives us the savior, that gives us uh, the changing of the seasons, all based on um, astronomy, uh, based on uh, uh, agricultural practices, etc. So then when you translate that to the main subject tonight, and that is manufactured prophecy, obviously, and these are things that some of them I just learned in the last couple of years, I'm recognizing new things all the time. Mm -hmm. These are things that the average person who's a Christian or who may be of some Judeo-Christian uh, denomination, or even Muslims. Muslims believe a lot of the same things that Christians and Jews do. You don't see things like that. You see things more literally. So you're waiting for the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, obviously, Muslims don't think Jesus is the, is the Savior in the same way that he resurrected, but Jews and Christians are waiting for Jesus to return. Uh, and other uh, religious groups are waiting for their own types of saviors to to come and to save them from the end times. So 
This interpretation is more literal, obviously. And I believe that there are factions and and there are groups, and it it seems clear with the British royal family, as they call themselves, or the Saxe-Coburg-Gotha German family, Mm -hmm. that they have used these images and these symbols, which have been uh, known and and, uh, utilized for thousands of years in order to convince the public that they are the chosen ones, they are the saviors. It's not just the British royal families, it's it's, uh, uh, others as well. Um, some of the so-called world leaders, you know, the Klaus Schwab types, and they claim that they can save us from imminent destruction, from both climate, uh, from inequality, all these things, things that, you know, maybe Jesus would talk about, taking care of your neighbor, accepting people, equality. I think all that's subconscious, and I think all that's underlying. So the main point here is, um, remember when the queen died? Absolutely, Big, yeah. big day, right? Mm-hmm. So. It's interesting when, you know, there was a lot of uh, talk about uh, the numerical significance of the queen's initial uh, inauguration as queen and then her years of rule and then her death. Um, Queen Elizabeth ruled for 70 years and she was coronated over a seven month world tour. Uh, she uh, died in a jubilee year uh, what the time called Shamita. Uh, and which I, it can't be coincidence that there um, there are seven years in in this time period. This is a Jewish tradition. Um, and when you look at, I find this really weird. It's in 2022 this year, just a few months ago that she dies. So right at the end of 2022, taking us into 2023, seven years from 2023 is 2030. When not me and not the Bible, but Silicon Graphene Valley and the World Economic Forum tell us that we're going to be merged with these synthetic things. Yeah. So that's fascinating to me just to think about that. Prince Charles what? becomes King Charles and go ahead. Um, so at the Jubilee, did you see the, her lighting that tree, the tree of trees? Yes, I heard. I didn't see the visual, but I've heard about this. Yeah, it was a gigantic DNA double helix or, you know, triple helix, whatever. Some people are calling it a triple helix because they're they're saying that that entwines the um, uh, the carbon based into the DNA. But (laughs) the tree of trees, six, six, six. Yes, exactly. But the tree of trees was made of 70 potted mini trees and it was 70 feet tall. I did not know that. See, that ties right into it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of that's, sevens. That's amazing. And I mean, Charles, uh, uh, Prince Charles, King Charles now took power after, and this was NBC News reported it, seven of, uh, days, officially seven days after the mourning for Queen Elizabeth had ended. I don't know why they choose to tell you these seemingly random numbers, mm-hmm. but all the sevens and what you just said. Uh, all of that uh, makes a lot of sense. So there's an idea going around. There's a theory in some, some uh, let's call them communities in some parts of the radio world. Uh, our friend uh, Clyde Lewis has talked about this, Tracy Twyman, uh, a couple other people uh, who believe that Prince William might just well be the Antichrist or at least the manufactured Antichrist because he was born on the summer solstice. The sun is the most high. Uh, Lady Diana named after the goddess Diana, she uh, had her um, pregnancy. The birth was induced, so he would be born on that day. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, yeah. That's I learned that, and I was just kind of stunned by that years ago. So uh, basically, Prince William. That the idea is now that King Charles isn't going to be King Charles for long. This is just a theory, though. 
that he's going to give up the throne to Prince William, whether he does or not, you know, uh, before he dies is one thing, but even if he doesn't and he eventually dies in 10, 15, 20 years, whatever the case is, it's a good chance William is going to be king in his lifetime. So that brings us back to the Bible. If you look at the coat of arms for Prince King Charles, I cannot pronounce this. It looks like someone typed uh, on a keyboard, uh, you know, and it made an accident okay. <laughs> hit their head off the keyboard. It's like, why Dre, Goke, Didri, some, I can't pronounce it. I don't know exactly what the language is. It looks like Gaelic or something. But his crest says, the red dragon gives the lead. Oh, boy. And that's, that's from an official, like, royal yeah. website. Now, in Revelation 13, 2, the dragon, this is a quote, the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne. So a lot of people might not recognize that just like there's a difference between Lucifer and Satan, there's a difference between the beast and the red dragon. Revelation says that the dra- it's not the dragon that's the Antichrist. The dragon gives power to the Antichrist, gives power to the beast. Interestingly enough, Charles was, uh, I think it was back in like 2002, he was turned into a giant sculpture with big wings, looking like an angel or something to that effect. And uh, the sculpture was meant to represent a leader who would lead us, and that's the word they used, he would lead us into a better world, which even, again, kind of comes from the crest in Revelation, the red dragon gives the lead, the dragon gives the beast his power, and these are the types of um, things that have been uh, replicated in statue for, for Charles, who, of course, also has that uh, Dracula history to, to him as well. Well, and I think the so, beast even had seven heads, right? Seven. Oh, that's correct. Yes. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Oh, you're, no, you're right. You could go into, you could just, we could just read the book of Revelation and you'd find so many more parallels. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, the, I mean the, basically that's the idea. And then it's the false messianic kingdom that the counterfeit royals, because they're not actually royal, they're not even British. They're first of all, they're German. Mm-hmm. Queen Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth was Heiling Hitler when she was young. There's photographs of that. They're a German family. They changed their name around the time of the war, and they claim to be descendant from the bloodline of Jesus Christ. And so Vlad the Impaler, right? And Vlad, yeah, like I said, Vlad the Impaler. So if you're you're claiming to be the bloodline of the Messianic uh, lineage, the Messianic kingdom, and you're not even British, uh, you're German, you're not even British, uh, let alone actually descendant from Jesus Christ in whatever capacity you want to interpret that as, then by definition, you would be a false uh, messiah. Uh, those that ran the family, that ran the, the, the castle, if you will, would be false. It'd be a false messianic kingdom. And that counterfeit kingdom is established, and this is kind of weird too, it's established in the Bible for 42 months. Mm, yeah, that's 40, correct. Right? And for, what's 42 months? That's about a three and a half year. That's about the midway point between right now and 2030. So. Yep. 
prophecy speaking, biblically speaking, all this kind of comes together. So what, what I was thinking is, you know, Prince Charles, King Charles, he's not only the, the red dragon giving the lead eventually to his son, William, but he's also, and William is also Will, Bill, Bill, Bell, Ball. Bill is one of the original names for the devil or for the Antichrist, <laughs> Antichrist or the, the, the chief of demons. Very fitting. So, I mean, and it's just, it's a name, fine, but it's just the idea of all this looking way too suspicious to me. So, well, yeah. and we, then I, I believe the Antichrist will suffer a, a head wound, correct? But will survive. That's, that's correct. Revelation says that. And I'm sure, I'm sure you're going to allude to uh, Prince William and his head injury when he was a child, right? Or a little bit younger. Yeah. So does that kind of fit into, or? You know, it, it totally does. Um, I don't have the verse in front of me right now, but yes, if you read Revelation, the beast suffers a, um, a head injury. And yes, William suffered a head injury when he was younger and recovered from it. And I think that that I think is the manufactured aspect of this. They are trying to make it seem as if without outright saying it, I mean, they claim they are of the messianic bloodline, but mm. they are, I think, attempting to make it seem as if they are although they are part of the Masonic bloodline, they're also um, fulfilling the revelation prophecy so that under this false identity, this false saviorship, you know, King Charles is one of the major proponents of climate change and the great reset. He's taking the lead on that. He's this winged angel demon like uh, uh, thing uh, in this sculpture that was made about 20 years ago. I think all of this is manufactured to get to your point, which is that what happens in the next seven years, I don't think it's going to be the end of the world personally, but I think they want to make it seem like it's going to be the end times, which people have been screaming about on the side of, you know, streets for, for decades, Oh yeah, but they want to make people think that. So when Jesus doesn't come and although they're not saying this fully consciously, a lot of this is subconscious. A lot of this is archetype. You start to believe subconsciously, well, Jesus never came and saved me. So you start to lose faith mm -hmm. in that. And then what happens is you turn your faith and your essence and substance and soul and spirit over to these false messiahs. And they do fulfill a kind of antichrist-like prophecy, except in the manufactured version, there is no savior and you now are subservient to them. That's kind of my idea, my I don't even want to call it a theory. It's just sort of what I see within the archetypes and the, and the prophecy, et cetera. Yeah, no, because when I heard that, um, are you familiar with Timothy Alberino and his kind of lectures and um, the birthright series that he has? I know all about it, but I don't know much about him. I don't know if I've watched his stuff, but um, I knew Jordan Maxwell talked about it a lot. Yeah, well, because I heard you talk about this and I was listening to Tim Timothy Alberino around the same time. And it kind of fits right into ushering in, he, he calls it the final new religion. So this will be the final religion that we have. And he termed it, um, he, he came up with this phrase, apotheotheism. Oh, yes, I've heard that, yeah. And apotheosis is to become God-like. And so he is saying that with the merger of transhuman, transhumanism, AI, and alien technology he kind of brings in this new alien race of he thinks that the new god will be an alien form and that's why you have the vatican kind of working with theologians or you have nasa working with theologians to say okay what are humans going to do when 
they encounter aliens. You know, he had 24 of them last year. Uh, you also had the Vatican has this secret archive where supposedly they know about alien or extraterrestrial intelligence. And they have, you know, the Lucy Lucifer uh, telescope that is used to study the stars and who knows what they have found. But he is saying that that's why the Vatican is in on this because they need to create a new religion and the new religion will be of an alien form that they know exists, but they need to reveal it slowly. So that way the human beings will um, accept it. And this, I, I, I think, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say that uh, through this denial slash defiance phase that you're, you're bringing up uh, Timothy Alberino kind of, uh, he postulates that we're currently in this denial phase where you're, you have people who are atheists and they, they don't think that God exists. They will just completely say, eh, no, there is no God. I'm an atheist, right? So that's the denial phase, but we will switch from that into the defiance phase. And the defiance phase will be, there is a God and I deny, I openly deny him. Right. You know, you'll, so you're smiting him. You're, um, you you feel betrayed because of this manufactured prophecy didn't be, or wasn't fulfilled. And so now you're looking to fill that void with a new religion. Yes. Yeah. I don't know his work, but that's precisely what I see clearly. That's what you see. That's why you wanted to talk about this tonight. Yeah. That makes, per- that makes perfect sense. And then actually, again, I didn't know who, um, much about this guy or his theories and ideas, but that's pretty much what I wrote in my book, the technological elixir, the same exact thing. I th- and I think all of that, the alien God, uh, kind of like Jordy Rose said, um, when you stand next to the D wave computer, it's like standing next to an, uh, an altar to an alien God. There is a church of artificial intelligence now and technology in all of its forms is being presented not only as a savior, which is what I call the technological elixir, promising that you can live forever in the physical world, which is really eternal spiritual damnation. It's trapping the spirit and soul in a vessel uh, that decays and dies so that those that have access to it and and connect to it have the ability to strip you of all of your energy. It sounds very similar to what the machines were doing in the movie The Matrix and very similar to what Samsung is actively, openly, publicly in white papers building and what they're selling the public as, well, you know, life's really hard and COVID was really bad and you don't want to get people sick. So just plug into the metaverse. Exactly. And I think, yeah, that, that whole thing, all of that, um, the, the, the digital sub reality aspect aspect of it is, I think, um, eternal, uh, symbolically, archetypically it's that's eternal damnation. Mm -hmm. And that's what they are trying to do to separate the soul and the spirit. There is an animating thing, whether you believe in God or not, something's animating my physical body. So to separate the physical body from the soul spirit and to siphon off the energy to feed off of it, like monsters incorporated almost. Uh, to power their system, basically creating an artificial body for their artificial intelligence to inhabit, whether that's something they've created, something that they've been assisted in creating, something that came from another world, another dimension, call it whatever. But that seems to be, as you're alluding to this other gentleman's work as well, that seems to be where this is headed, uh, the replacement of organic life with synthetic life and the extraction of the soul spirit from the body and eternal damnation, eternal spiritual uh, starvation. Yeah, and it, it makes sense because he describes it whenever this being comes, 
this new God, that it will teach people how to become God-like. And that is what will entice people to start re- uh, believing it, I guess, or believing it. And so he will teach them certain ways of, you know, adapting through technologies, um, integrating it through this transhumanism that, yeah, you can become like me. You can become like gods. And this will be like the the golden days where gods walked with men, you know, in the olden times. I don't know. But maybe that's the step of this, the whole vaccine step. If you look at uh, the COVID, well, quote unquote shot, it's not really a vaccine. It's a technology, right? So they wanted to pump this into people's bodies for a reason, and it wasn't to cure them of a disease. What was the actual reason? You can argue this might be it. Well, that's, yeah, a lot of people uh, think that because it seems to fit in with the timeline. It seems to fit in with the language. It seems to fit in with the ideology itself. And it seems to fit in with the white papers and and the stuff that these people have openly published. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no doubt about that. And the prophecy side of it, I think, is just a way to psychologically and subconsciously break people down and get them to acquiesce to it. Um, In fact, kind of a silly side example of that is um, a friend of mine uh, during the so-called pandemic, he said that his his sister, who is like a very, um, uh, she's been a Christian her whole life. She and some of the people in, in his family, they're all Christian. They believe that just don't resist anything that you're told to do. You might not agree with it, but because if you just don't resist it, don't worry, Jesus, like literally, this isn't a joke. Jesus is going to come save you. So you know, if you have to get the shot, get it. In the end, Jesus will make it all better. And mm. I, I mean, that I think is really preying on people's religious vulnerabilities. And they're doing it artistically. They're doing it subconsciously. They're doing it symbolically. They're doing it in ways that alter, um, I think, alter the what it means to be human, to want to have community and interact with people, and and. Um, to be free of, of, of those types of oppressions, it's altering. Like Sean Parker said, he said that Facebook exploits a basic human, uh, a basic human psychology. That's what they're doing. They're exploiting human psychology. And the greatest proof of that is in the white papers of the NIH, uh, the national health services of the UK, the American medical association, Yale university, I've done a number of shows on this. They're all, all these papers are in my book, the technological elixir. I have a chapter on this where all these big white papers, all psychologists telling us the ways in which we can get people to social distance, wear masks, get vaccines, quarantine, appealing to people's sense of community, appealing to their sense of patriotism, appealing to their sense of they love their family. Don't they then get a shot appealing to people's sense of whatever. It, it, all based on psychology. Uh, so a lot of this, people call this like, uh, you know, prophecy, speak, pro- speaking of prophecy, this battle between good and dark, light, and, uh, uh, good and evil, light and dark. Uh, a lot of that is happening in the brain. A lot of that is happening in the conscious field, if you will. Mm. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. I never really uh, explored that avenue. Well, do you think that, like, just the few things we've discussed tonight, uh, 45 minutes we've, we've been on the show um these these things seem to you coherent right because mm. to me like i i sit back and i think am i just putting this together because it sounds good or like is it i'm, I'm not trying to consciously scare people i just find it disturbing how coherent and consistent this kind of stuff is oh yeah absolutely 
And then when you talk about it, you sound insane. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <You know? laughs> and that's why yeah, you absolutely people, sound insane. people don't want to hear because I think the reason why they think you sound insane is because they get scared about it, you know? Right, right. I tell people to be informed, not to be afraid. But it's it's a frightful thing when you feel like you don't really have any power. But I also tell people the fact that you can recognize this means that you have all the power. You know, if your house is on fire and someone says your house is on fire, a sane person doesn't deny that and go back in the house. You recognize the issue and you, you deal with it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so where do you think this ends? Do you think this uh, is going to get uh, squashed? Do you think somebody's going to come in and, and save everybody? I mean, that's the whole <laughs> Q thing too, right? Is There was a lot of oh, complacency yeah. with Q. I mean, do, take what you will with Q. I used to follow it quite a bit. Um, it woke my ass up. I'll just put it that way. It got me to explore and look into things that I would have never looked into. Um, but in the end... When nobody got arrested and things just didn't happen, that's when I feel like the faith got, it, it just fell out, right? It was kind of like this, uh, the same thing that I guess that they're trying to do with Christianity is uh, this manufactured prophecy is Q was kind of like this manufactured prophecy where it was building oh, yeah. up this end times. It was going to happen and it never did. Um, well, a lot of the, a lot of the so-called new age or alternative media communities do that all the time. Constant predictions, constant. This is going to happen. And then when nothing happens, they find little news stories that prove that it happened. I mean, that's how a lot of alternative media makes their makes their money. It's in my opinion, it's just as bad as the mainstream media in those ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And but so and that's the whole story with Q is that this was all the plan is that Trump was supposed to lose. So that you go and you have to experience the darkness. And I'm like, well, isn't that a Freemasonic ritual then? Chaos or order from chaos? Well, you're, I mean, in that, that capacity, but you're basically doing is you're going into the cave, you're going into the grotto blind, you're going into the temple blind. And then, yes, it's part of, I mean, I don't consider Freemasonic rituals to be evil. I think that they've been hijacked for nefarious purposes, but mm -hmm. it is very ritualistic. So is covering your face staying home for extended periods of time and not having communication with others. Um, there are, the, I think a lot of these things are perverted today in terms of what they mean, but originally in Greece and Rome and Egypt and in the more ancient world in uh, Sumeria. And even before that, you would go into a state of um, usually it, it, it would depend on uh, the area, but usually like 72 hours, like three days. And the point was you're basically mimicking uh, the sun you're, and they had people dressed up as the moon and stars. And you're putting yourself as the microcosm into the macrocosm to connect with divinity. So you would go into the tomb for three days and then you would be resurrected. In Egypt, they would have a, a priest come in and say, whatever your name is, Bob, John, Ryan, etc., come forth the same term and that's an egyptian text that's the same term used in the in the bible when jesus resurrects lazarus from the dead so these are initiation ceremonies into um the things today that we might take for granted you know mathematics and science and astronomy and engineering and all these uh things that you know in those days we, we tend to forget even in the last hundred years most people were not literate most people did not have a very um, extensive education thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago we know of very learned men, but the 
average person didn't know virtually anything. So you would be initiated into these intellectual, and I mean cult in a positive way, these intellectual cults, and you would preserve the information from those that wish to destroy it. The Catholic Roman Church later would be one of those examples, the burning of the Library of Alexandria, et cetera, and things mm -hmm. like that. But the whole point is you would be you would be masked or hooded, you would be put into isolation, you would contemplate your life and contemplate the different things that um, were happening around you. You would also usually be administered a psychoactive substance that would allow you to communicate with the divine. And weirdly enough, I don't think that this is a stretch with masks and social distancing and quarantining, the psychoactive substance in essence is basically the mRNA shot, which doesn't connect you with the divine. It connects you with the body or the internet of things, which is an artificial consciousness, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So it is ritualistic. Yeah. I just, I just did an episode on this. Um, it's pretty much manufactured consciousness versus the real deal. And that is what meta is. That is what the Neuralink is going to be. That's what these uh, this new transhumanist agenda will bring forth is these superhuman powers that might be possible to do just in reality, you know, through your your natural body, but you just don't know how to do it. You haven't been taught. And so the easy way to get there is let's implant something that this other company made and maybe they can track your data for you. You know, right. And those abilities that would then be easily controlled, turned on and turned off. And th I mean, this is a fascinating subject, because if you've ever been in like um, an intimate relationship or you've had to have, have a really good friend or someone in your family you're really connected to, I don't know about you, but at some point or another, you kind of develop this um, you kind of develop this co this connection that's so strong, you can sort of read the other person's mind. Yeah, like, you telepathy. Know other, yeah, yeah, that's telepathy might not be what you see in a movie but th that to me is telepathy um and there are there are other things like we think of uploading the, the consciousness into a machine or we upload our body into a machine i don't think that's going to happen one day we're not going to wake up and we're going to go down to google and they're going to put us into a machine no it happens by uploading our data in the social media i think that's why elon musk bought twitter he wants the data for his optimus robot the more we upload into the machine, the more the machine becomes human and the less we become human, the more machine-like we become. That's uploading our consciousness into a machine. We do it every time we log on the social media. Uh, and these are the kinds of things that we're always looking for some big event with uh, you know, an orchestra playing in a movie. But that's not how it happens. It happens incrementally. It happens slowly. And before you know it, you're in that situation and a lot of times, like Huxley said, you love your servitude. You don't even recognize that's what's happening. You actually think it's a virtue to push other people into it. Absolutely. Yeah. Just like Google was saying, if if you don't see the product or you don't realize what the product is, like then you are the product. Or if the product is free, then <laughs> that's you are. Right. But with oh, Elon absolutely. with Elon Musk, um, you know, the Starlink internet. People are saying that that is a good idea, but I'm seeing it as a monopoly because who else has satellite internet that they can sell? Other right, than Elon. right. Well, yes. And no, it's definitely what, monopoly. Sorry, what, go ahead. What do you think about Elon as far as uh, his his uh, prospects for being quote unquote the Antichrist? I've never considered that or thought about that. Um, I don't. 
I don't think Elon, in my opinion, I don't think Elon Musk is really a good guy or a bad guy. I think Elon Musk is more machine-like in what he does. Mm-hmm. I think I think he is a, I don't want to say a technocrat, but a technocrat without all the negative connotations. And I think he wants, I truly think he wants there to be free interaction on Twitter, but I think he wants that because he wants the conscious and intellectual discussions and even the non-intellectual conscious discussions because he needs a, 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 what do you call it? He needs like a slide. He needs a spectrum to be able to make his AI more intelligent, more conscious and more aware. Again, I don't think he's necessarily a bad guy, but I certainly don't think he's a good guy either. I think he is the he's the essence, perhaps. Maybe maybe it is bad. He's like the essence of technocracy because he's not really good or bad. He's like what Lovecraft said, where these monsters and these demons and these aliens, cosmicism, they don't, as Jordy Rose said, they don't give a damn about you. Mm-hmm. They're not good or evil. They just do what they do. And I think that like Cortez, we were talking about earlier, uh, in um, the Americas, and I think like uh, Pizarro in the Americas and the Andes, I think they're doing something very similar. They're simply coming to a foreign place, whatever this intelligence is, AI or something else, and they are looking at the religion and the mythology, and they're positioning themselves to be those gods so that when Pizarro or Cortez enter into the Andes or in Central America or wherever they are, when the technocrats from Silicon Valley enter into your country and your thought uh, uh, thought field, you recognize them not as conquerors, not even as explorers. You recognize them as gods and you let them into your inner sanctum and temple and then they take all the gold and kill you. And that's to me, uh, to bring it around full circle, that's kind of the parallel that I see. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say that's a perfect ending right there. Um, before we get out of here, though, I do want to bring up this the open mouth ritual you said. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So you said that they would take the king. Would they? Would they kill the king like a curb stomp type of thing and spread his <laughs> mouth open? No, that's a good question for two reasons. One, there is something called the ritual king kill, or the ritual of the king kill, or the king kill ritual, something to that effect. Okay, that's symbol. That's symbolic. The king, you know, like in Lord of the Rings, the trees are really wise. Uh, kings and emperors were always thought to reside in trees. They were thought to reside in pillars, uh, which is the Osiris story, uh, and also in pretty much any, any, anything else. So uh, kings resided in the wheat. They resided in the corn. They resided in the crops. So you would cut the crops down, uh, turn them into bread. That's the body, of course. And then the sunlight from the sun, uh, the water making the grapes and the wine, that, that would be the blood, of course. You know that story. So that's the king kill. It's basically the last supper. Uh, but in terms of the last, um, uh, the last rite of the king in Egypt or in uh, Mesoamerica, yeah, they have this ceremony called opening. And there's a lot of other parallels too, but this is one of the most fascinating to me, opening of the mouth. And as the opening of the mouth ceremony suggests, uh, they would open the mouth and then they would crack the skull. And they believed, and it was a symbolic process. I don't think the the people that did this were primitive in thought. Mm -hmm. It would allow the soul to escape through the mouth. I mean, you see that in movies and cartoons. This is the last breath. The soul comes out, right? So the king king was already dead. The pharaoh was already dead. The priest was already dead. uh, The royal was already dead. And they would do this because they believed that it would help them to circumvent the trials of the underworld, which in... Uh, large parts of the Americas was done in a boat 
South America, it was done in a boat. And in Egypt, it was also done in a boat. And there were uh, paddler gods that paddled the boat along in both of those underworlds. Uh, this was a ritual in part performed in Africa, Mesoamerica, Japan, all over the world. So they clearly had a, a, similar, um, a similar origin. Uh, in Central America, the, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, the piachi is a word that means human sacrifice, and it translates to literally open the mouth. So in other words, the piachi of Central America to open the mouth literally has the same meaning as what is talked about in the Egyptian Book of the Dead, thousands of miles away on a different continent with a different culture that used similar building techniques, had similar gods, uh, and had similar, obviously, you can see here, rituals uh, of the underworld. They both believed that their kings, their pharaohs, would be reborn as stars. Um, and again, same thing. It's not just there. Uh, I found this fascinating. There's a book called The Dark Side of Japan I just read. And just kind of randomly in the book, I got the quote right here. It says, when a local person dies, this is ancient Japanese custom, the village will put money together to call a shaman and have them perform literally, this is what it's called, the ritual of opening the mouth of the dead wow. to help the soul on its way. It's like literally the same translation in all, all these. And, and ancient Japan is even uh, more incredible, I think, because we don't we had, didn't have access to that information until relatively recently For sure. compared to other parts of the world. So that's just it blows my mind. It, it cracks my own skull open. There you go. Opens right? my mouth. I, I don't know what to think about it. Well, yeah, because yeah, when you said that, I was thinking about the large mouth uh, that people walk through in Dante's Inferno. Oh, yes, yes. And then it's like the opening of the mouth into this portal of, I don't know where they go. Maybe that's the entrance to hell. But that's, Astro, that's the uh, Travis Scott, right? Oh, Astro, you're going to say it. <laughs> yeah, Astro World. When you think of Astro stars, you know, you're going through the mouth to be into the astro world so you're becoming a star i don't know that's 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 precisely what it is so you whether whether it's the peshen kif which was the tool in egypt or it's the piachi the opening of the mouth in central america um uh, central and south america from what i understand both cultures and then japan as well uh you've totally distinct parts of the world totally distinct cultures and in in all cases you have the same rituals the same underworld the same stories they clearly came from a similar um, or the same place, the same origin, perhaps the same advanced culture or civilization. I don't think it was aliens personally. Mm -hmm. uh, they just obviously different parts of the world. They developed differently. So, you know, in Egypt, they were way more advanced ultimately uh, than cent uh, Central America. Uh, but South America was more advanced than Central America. So some places almost like seeds spread out. Some places they grew better, some places they kind of disappeared and, and uh, died off. Fascinating history. It is. It's super fascinating. And, you know, I really do appreciate your time tonight, Ryan. And thanks so much for coming on the show. We'll have to have you back soon, man, because this was awesome. You got it anytime, and you should come back on The Secret Teachings. Just send me a message. Absolutely. Yeah, I got some more hot moon talk, so anytime <laughs> right, you're ready. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right, Ryan. Well, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.